first task um, default on glasses. Well, good morning. You know that every three or four years, uh, various Americans start announcing that they're running for president of the USA. And in contrast, now and again, some British politicians let it be known to their selected and trusted friends that they might consider accepting a nomination to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. One lot does it very discreetly, the other lot out loud, but Jesus announces the start of his ministry with a reading from the Old Testament. <coughs> but Jesus does not need to be elected, he doesn't need to campaign, because he already is the Lord of all. He just wants people to recognise this, to start again and live as his willing subjects. Now, Luke's whole book is about Jesus, uh, and he aims to explain who Jesus is, what he was here for, and what he did. So at the beginning of the book, Luke tells us about various people who recognised who Jesus is and announced it to others. And we read about most of these people at around Christmas time. For example, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and Gabriel, the angel, and Elizabeth, uh, together with the as yet unborn John the Baptist, and Mary, the wife of Joseph and mother of Jesus. And then a little later, Simeon and Anna in the temple. And a little later, well, quite a few years later, the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. And of course, John the Baptist as a grown man. And even, of course, the devil who tried to tempt Jesus. And Matthew lists even more. But now, Jesus speaks for himself. It is, if you like, his manifesto. He's come back to his home area, he's becoming famous as a teacher, and now comes specifically to his own hometown, Nazareth. You could almost imagine him arriving in an open-top bus, but of course, there were no open-top buses to do it in. Now, people had already recognised that his teaching was exceptional. He's come back in the spirit, it says. And now, he says a little about why. And he does it in the form of a reading from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, uh, which will uh, be recognised by the people. He is telling people he's a particular person forecast by Isaiah. And he is a person who can say, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, it's a well understood and traditional thing that one outflowing of religious devotion to Christ is care and compassion for the poor. And here at the Good Shepherd, for example, we support the food bank, and recently we visited lots of blankets and dolls and such like to help people who are in material need. And no doubt, uh, quite apart from anything that we do collectively, we all make many other donations and gifts from time to time. But is this the only kind of poor? Jesus refers in dull places to other kinds of poverty as well. For example, uh, he says at one point, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, people who are uh, lacking uh, in assurance of salvation, people who, quite apart from whether they have money or not, know uh, that they are not completely right and at home with God. 
And another case uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, he's uh, saying uh, to a particular church, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. It is possible to have all the wealth in the world and still be poor in a very meaningful sense. Or again, Jesus says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And that poses the question, what kind of prisoners are there? Uh, another time Luke tells us that uh, he has a discussion about a woman that he's going to heal and says uh, to the surrounding people, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And of course, the answer is yes. And that's a, a binding by debilitating illness. But nearer home, what about the 80,000 or more people in British prisons, who obviously are there because of crimes and such like, but are also often mentally ill or cannot read or are addicted to drugs or have no qualifications. And so if they uh, come to the end of their sentence, what means do they have of actually going straight? Setting them free is more than just unlocking their cells and surfing them out on the street. They're in a bigger prison than Pentonville. Or again, Jesus says he has sent me to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. And Jesus has words to say about blind guides who misteach the people and lead them astray. And some more things as well we could say uh, uh, to add to that and the other points that Jesus made. But these actions all have in common that they are about reversing things that make life less than it should be. Jesus sums up his coming in another place by saying, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The story of the Bible is about life starting and being full in the first place in the Garden of Eden and then going wrong and being less full. And he has come that we may have life and have it to the full again. Well, Jesus says to the congregation in Nazareth that day, today this scripture is filled in your, their sight. This is who I am, Jesus is saying, the one that Isaiah wrote about, and this is what I'm about to do. This was a, a special day in Jesus' ministry. The word is today, but it almost certainly doesn't mean an exact single day, but rather a day as in we used to send in our tax returns in an envelope by post, but today we do it online. After all, years of preparation have gone by, first centuries of preparing the world for his coming, and then about 30 years from Bethlehem to now. But he has been going around the area becoming famous, so this isn't the exact day. But there was a day when he went to the Jordan and was baptised, and soon after here he is saying that today this is fulfilled. It's started. He's here. He started. But after three years or so of Jesus travelling and teaching on earth, the job was not finished. He hadn't even been to the Americas and nobody then knew they existed. Apart, of course, from the Red Indians, I suppose. Uh, of course, his sacrifice for sin had been made, which was the really big thing. But the work of releasing captives and so on the world over that he was speaking about in the synagogue was still at an early stage. He finished his visit to earth 
by passing the baton to his first band of followers, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A pivotal verse at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And that message is for us now. The baton has been passed to us. So what exactly are we supposed to do? And how are we supposed to do it? Well, I just made through some uh, suggestions or examples of things that we already do. The question is that as time goes on and circumstances change uh, through the years, and as God's plan for the world unfolds step by step, what might we find ourselves doing next? But pausing for a moment, uh, perhaps you're thinking that perhaps I've got the uh, cart before the horse, things back to front. It's important to remember that all these works of putting things right flow from living Jesus' way. We do them because we are living Jesus' way. We don't do them in order to get into Jesus' good books. But living Jesus' way starts by realising that Jesus is Lord, accepting his forgiveness and peace and submitting to his authority. And then and only then do we find ourselves doing acts of charity, uh, out of re inner regeneration, acts of charity that count. Christianity is not just a programme of social action. But equally, it's not just a spiritual remit only. Sometimes politicians just after some bishop perhaps has been rude about some policy they've announced, get told, uh, they tell the bishops to shut up and go back into church and uh, look after people's souls while we run the world properly, that sort of thing. That's when you've heard it a number of times. But those who follow Jesus automatically do something about the state of the world and for the well-being of those who live in it. After all, all the bad things we thought about earlier happen either uh, uh, because or are not quickly put right because not everyone is wholeheartedly following Jesus and living to his values. So the bishops, the church and us are, are therefore rightly concerned with both helping people to come to faith in the spiritual realm, which is the ultimate cause of all these things, and putting things right in the material world while uh, uh, we've got the much chance to do it. The cart and the horse are not the wrong way round, they belong together. Now, we have probably not had occasion to read out in church a Bible passage that's about ourselves in quite the same way that Jesus did at Nazareth. But we probably have had milestone days. We perhaps have stood actually here and said to somebody, I take thee to be my wife or husband, as the case may be, or we've come to confirmation or adult baptism or something similar, and have firmly declared to Jesus, today I decide to follow you and live your way. Now Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's compare ourselves with that situation. Both he and us live in a human body and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Both he and us do normal things in the usual way, same as everyone else of course. Nobody cleans their teeth in the power of the Spirit. 
both he and us sometimes do do things in the power of the Spirit, things that can't be accounted for in the usual way. Some examples of this are suggested by Paul in the reading that uh, Richard read earlier. Gifts of healing, guidance, prophecy, miracles and so on. And there are others that aren't actually in that reading. But mostly, Christians live doing things the ordinary way because they have decided to follow Jesus and join in his work that he just outlined. And they, for example, do things like famine relief or send doctors to disaster areas. But also, like Jesus, we sometimes do things with effects that cannot be accounted for in the ordinary way. And they are, through the power of the Holy Spirit, released through the prayer of believing, obedient servants. So, Jesus coming to the synagogue that day was part of God's long-term plan, and Jesus passing the baton down the years to a growing band of disciples, and now to us, is also part of that plan. It is therefore a privilege, not a chore, a privilege to work for him, and there's something meaningful that he plans for each of us to do. Jesus came to the synagogue that day in the power of the Spirit, and we have been given the same Spirit. And so as we tackle his work as praying, believing, obedient servants, that same power will have effects that cannot be accounted for in the usual way. So, let us seek out from him the first step of whatever particular next task he now has prepared for each of us, and say, today, I will trust your promise to be with me as I take that first step.